Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for spending part of your Sunday with us, whether you're here in person or as Dan said, you're watching online or you're listening later. It's great to be with you. If we if we have never met each other, my name is Corey, uh, and I'm the lead pastor here at GFC. And I want to let you know about a couple of things before we continue with our worship and our learning today. First of all, if you are new with us, we would love to get to know you. And so the best way for us to get to know you and you to get to know us is to fill out the Next Steps card on our website, or you can go to the Welcome Center and do that uh, also. And if you do that today and let us know that you did it, we have a gift card to New Holland Coffee Company we would like to give you. So please take some time to do that. If you're watching online and you like to do it as well, we will mail it to you if you live in the area. So we'd love to just get to know you and uh, get connected in any way that you would like to get connected with us. Other thing I want to let you know about, and this is kind of a dual announcement or a conversation, but we don't actually hand a offering plate here at GFC. So one of the things that we want is we want our giving and our generosity to be a rhythm that we build into our lives. We don't want it to be something that we do out of obligation or just as spur of the moment, but we want it to be something that we're contemplating and thinking about on a regular basis. Part of that also is for us to not just give of our money, but of our time and our energy and our other resources. And so in lockstep with that, one of the things that we're doing at the end of this month is on August 29th, the last Sunday of this month, there's going to be no in-person worship experience like this. What we're going to do instead is we're going to have opportunities for you to go and for us, for me to go and serve our community. And so we're going to kind of hit time out on just being here and we're going to give back and worship in other ways as we impact our community uh, with the love of Christ. And so if, if you have kids, I know that gets to be a, an awkward thing. We're actually going to have preschool and nursery here. So they can, you can come, you can drop the kid, younger kids off so they can hang out here. They'll have a great time, and it gives us the opportunity to kind of just go into the community and do some awesome stuff. We'll have all kinds of opportunities for you to engage with. So if you're not the kind of person that's like, we want to lift heavy things and paint things, that's okay. We have stuff for you too, okay? So mark your calendar, August 29th. Uh, we would love for you to engage with us in that way as we serve our community. Um, I'm going to pray before we continue. We're excited to have Pastor Tim back to speak to us today. We're super excited as he kicks off our new series called Together, and we're talking about biblical community and thinking about that as we move into uh, the fall months. And so let's just pray together before we uh, sing another song together. Lord, we are grateful that we can just come together, we can sing together, we can learn together. We thank you that Pastor Tim is here and he's ready to share with us uh, about this idea of biblical community. We're excited to engage better as a biblical community, as a body of believers. We're thankful for the freedom we have to open the word and just learn together um, and apply it to our lives. We pray that you would help us to set other distractions aside and be ready to grow in the ways that you want us to grow today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It uh, feels a little weird here. It's been a while. Um, I'm a little out of practice. Do you know when you when you do exercise and then you just stop for a long time and then you sort of jump in again? It sort of feels like, man, I'm out of shape here. That's how I'm kind of feeling this morning. Um, quick uh, little update for those who don't know me. My name is Tim Hodge. Um, and uh, last uh, November, um, I had the privilege of passing the baton of uh, lead pastor from uh, Grace Family Church over to Pastor Corey as I took another role that was a national role for a group of churches. And uh, I've been very uh, thrilled to be able to um, connect in with Pastor Corey and Pastor Andrew as they've continued to uh, provide leadership to our church here. And I'm excited for what I see taking place. 
The, uh, the group that, uh, that hired me, we, our church is part of this, is called Karis Fellowship. And uh, there's our, you'll see our logo up here on the screen here in a moment. Um, uh, Karis Fellowship, Truth, Relationship, and Mission. And uh, we're a group of about 250 churches and ministries across the United States and Canada. Um, and our group, Karis Fellowship, is part of a global group called the Karis Alliance. And that's a family of about 4,000 churches in about 23 countries. And uh, I have the privilege of serving on the uh, steering committee, which is the group that helps sort of make all that stuff happen globally as well. And it's been exciting to be able to connect in with those people. But uh, some of my role, if you're not aware, is, is to help organize uh, retreats and other things, uh, gatherings for different pastors across the country, as well as um, handle a lot of administrative work, trying to help our churches and ministries get along and work together. And plans are in motion right now to actually have the office that I lead to be the hub of our communications for our fellowship of churches. And uh, we're about to hire additional staff. And uh, one of the other things that I have the privilege of doing is helping pull together with a team of others, pull together our national conference, which is gathering our leaders from all across the country uh, together each year for a celebration. And uh, I want to show you just a week and a half ago, I was out there, Pastor Corey was out there, and uh, I, uh, I just want to give you a glimpse here. It's about a three minute video. Um, it, it just shows a little bit of a taste of what we uh, did a week and a half ago. Uh, it was an eight-minute video, but I thought I'd spare you that. So it's down to three minutes, and it uh, just gives you a little glimpse. And by the way, next year, um, this national conference is open to whoever wants to come. And next year, this conference is, uh, is uh, going to be in Indiana again at our college and seminary on the grounds there. It's going to be a great time together. But look at the screens there for a couple of minutes and just see some of what our fellowship looks like when we get together. But just wanted to just give you a bit of an awareness that we're part of a pretty cool family. Nationally and globally, God is doing some incredible things through Karis Fellowship and Karis Alliance. And um, the, uh, the focus of our, of our movement of churches, uh, we, we talk about three key words. We talk about truth and relationship and mission. And the truth of God's word is of vital importance because how you approach the Bible, how you choose to look at Scripture is going to determine everything about where you land when it comes to all sorts of issues in society and, and the struggles that we, we face in our lives. And without the clarity of mission, mission is so important. Without that clarity, we can easily be very ineffective in what God wants us to do. Karis Fellowship, when it comes to uh, mission, we focus on three uh, specific areas. And you'll see them up on the screen here as well. Uh, the idea of planting churches, of training leaders and doing good. And there's a whole lot of initiatives that are taking place around the country and around the world to try to help those things happen significantly. But out of those three words, truth, relationship and mission, the relationship is the glue that kind of holds everything together. Our relationship with God, of course, is being pivotal and central and foundational, but also our relationships with each other. Relationships and connections with other people, especially followers of Jesus, is so vital to living lives of meaning and lives of purpose. Now, are relationships always easy? What do you think about that? Are they always easy? No. In fact, oftentimes they're very challenging and troubled and difficult. But you and I have been designed and created to be in relationship with others. If you think back to the creation account, we looked at this just recently, but we read in chapter 1 there about after God created the heavens and the earth, we read there, God saw all that He had made and it was what? It was 
Very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then the next chapter it says, The Lord God said it is, it is not good for the man to be alone. So in the midst of something good, what was not good was loneliness, was isolation. And God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Because you see, you and I were designed for relationship. God designed us to live in community with one another. God is the designer of marriage. He's the designer of the family unit. He's the designer of community. And Jesus, when you look at it, Jesus is the head of the church. And when we look at the descriptions of what the church is, it is about a relational community working together. Now one of the things that we know from Scripture, we see it all the way through it, is that the enemy of God strives strives to kind of thwart or to mess up or to intervene in the plans of God. And He's going to do this by taking anything that is good that God has made and He's going to try to attack it or corrupt it or destroy it. And one of the ways that He does that that I want to talk about a little bit this morning is through isolation. I want to suggest to you this morning that isolation is not a gift from God. It is a tool of the enemy. Let me say that again. Isolation is not a gift from God. It is a tool of the enemy. Now, I'm not talking about those moments where you need to just get away and you need to go out in the woods or spend some time alone or some time with, uh, in, uh, with God. I'm not talking about those moments because we see in Scripture that even Jesus had times where he, he escaped the crowds and went and spent some time alone. But that was not the norm. And what, what happens in our culture sometimes is people people end up sort of isolating themselves from other relationships for a number of reasons. And when you think about this, in a battle scenario, when we hear about battles throughout history, if your opponent can split you up and and divide you up and then attack each of you individually, it's a lot more effective than coming against a united front and a united force working together in unity. During this past year and a half, There have been many things that have caused the need for some isolation, some forced isolation. Uh, My family right now in Australia, um, uh, some of them at least are in their next, I don't know if it's their sixth lockdown. Okay, they handled it differently, and so it's a different country, and there's different dynamics going on there. Um, But but isolation, we've had some challenges over this past year that's led to some of that. And while necessary for a time, there are many people who have kind of come to embrace a bit of an attitude that, you know what, I actually don't need other people like I used to. Or, you know what, I don't really need to be connected into the life of a local church anymore. Or, or, you know what, groups were good, but I don't really need to connect in with any small groups. I'll just kind of handle life on my own in relative isolation from others. And the result, the result is not good. And here's the reason. I, I believe that Things are bad there because relational isolation leads to desolation. Relational isolation leads to desolation. And every day, men and women are facing crippling attacks from the enemy who is intent on destroying what is good. There are attacks coming all over the place. Self-esteem is under attack. I won't ask the question here, okay, so don't put your hand up, that if I were to ask the question, how many of you struggle at some level with self-esteem? I think a lot of hands would go up. I think a lot of people would say, you know what, throughout my life, I've always struggled with how I view myself and how others view me. 
personal doubts about ourselves, feelings of inferiority, or, or especially wounds from the past. Again, I'm, don't put your hand up, but if I was to ask you, how many of you have been wounded by interpersonal relationships in the past, or abuse, or something else, I think a lot of hands would go up. And it affects our self-esteem, and it causes us to withdraw from interpersonal relationships. I don't know, as a, as a pastor, I was here for uh, 17 years on staff, and I, I lost count of the number of times that I met somebody in a, in a counseling scenario that said, you know what, I've been hurt in the past, and I just don't want to be hurt anymore, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut everybody out. I'm just going to push things off there, and I'm just going to live in my own little circle here. I've heard that time and time again, and I understand that to some extent. But again, isolation is not a gift from God. It is a tool of the enemy. People who sometimes may not necessarily isolate themselves, sometimes they go about it in a different way. They, they insulate themselves from people being able to know what's really going on. Have, have you met people before who, who put on a big show that everything's okay? Who on the outside, you look at them and you think, man, that's just awesome. Everything is just wonderful there. But behind the scenes, things are not. Self-esteem is under attack. Another thing that's under attack is marriages and families. It's, it's long been the case and we see it all around us. And there's nothing like a, a pandemic to test the relationship integrity of a, of a husband and wife and, and parents and kids, correct? can create some additional challenges when you're in proximity there and dealing with other, other things. Did, did any of you run out of things to do last year at some stage? You're like, what do we do? How do we do things? I don't know, there's a few people that started to do jigsaw puzzles that never did a jigsaw puzzle in the past. And it's just, what do we do? How do we handle this stuff? But when it comes to marriages, sin and selfishness within a marriage can result in discord and destruction. And here's the thing that, that's so sad is oftentimes that discord and destruction has impacts that last for generations. One of the biggest victories that the enemy can have is to destroy the family unit. Do you agree with that? I've seen it too many times. Because the impact isn't just in that moment, it's in the successive generations that come. It's in the self-esteem of individuals and, and grandkids and all sorts of other things dealing with some of those different challenges. And it's not hard to see that, that family relationships are often a huge complex battlefront. Marriages and families are under attack. I personally believe from where I sit that churches are under attack. The enemy wants to take stuff that is good and try to mess it up or try to destroy it in some way. And one of the ways that I see this is, is when I see leaders who reject relational team leadership and instead kind of isolate themselves, whether it's due to pride or arrogance or maybe both, when they, they, they can often lead whole congregations into disarray and devastation. And the enemy loves it when that happens. Working together in relationship is God's design for the church. And just a little clue for you. If you ever see a church scenario or Christian ministry scenario where somebody has put themselves into a position of dictator, where they don't have a team around them who is helping to guide things, that is destined to collapse. That is destined to run into all sorts of difficulties because that's not how God designed the church to be. Another thing that's under attack right now from the enemy, I believe this, is unity in our society. Would you agree with that? 
Never in my lifetime have I experienced such a toxic, divisive environment as we see today. Whether it's issue of politics. Do any of you care about politics? Some of you are like, yeah, nah, probably shouldn't ask that. Politics, racism, sexuality, patriotism, masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines. Our society is a mess. And there's a lot of disunity taking place. And and personally, let me just say, I'm I'm kind of a little heartbroken to see so many professing followers of Jesus get caught up in the fray of these arguments and discussions and their reactions to it in a way that we know better. We know better. We have the Word of God and we have the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to guide us in our dealings with one another. Yet there are many times where, quite honestly, I've been a little ashamed and a little embarrassed by my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have chosen to respond to challenges and issues in an ungodly and arrogant way instead of doing what we're called to do, and that is responding in Christ-likeness. The passage that we're looking at today speaks directly to this issue. Because how do we counter the attacks that are taking place all around us? How do we kind of rise above the fray and live the kind of life that God wants us to live with the kind of focus that He desires. Um, Apparently the Olympics are going on right now. Is that true? Apparently half the viewership has declined because, I don't know, there's uh, there's all sorts of reasons there, but uh, the the watching of the Olympics is down. How many of you are big Olympics fans and you're watching it? Don't be embarrassed here. Okay. Growing up, I used to watch the Olympics all the time and and just uh, see the different things there. Uh, People love the world of, of... People around the world, rather, love sports and competition. But uh, I was just thinking, I was watching a, a bit of a game uh, the other day. It was an Olympic uh, um, competition there, a basketball game. And I was thinking uh, I was just remi- thinking of the times when, and maybe you've seen this before. Have you ever seen a, a football match or a basketball game or a soccer game or something where one of the team members goes the wrong direction? You've seen that before? And they're kicking the ball or doing... And, and next thing you know, they have scored a point for who? The other team. And what happens when that happens? So it's like, how do, you, how do you recover from that? I mean, honestly, how do you recover? You know that's going to be attached to your the rest of your time with that particular team and maybe beyond that. But that, uh, that mistake, I think, often happens in the spiritual world as well. How do we ensure that as followers of Jesus, we aren't scoring wins for the opposition and enabling the enemy to claim victories? Because sometimes as I, as I observe the Christian community and as I observe different things taking place, sometimes I'm seeing people running passionately, kicking the ball down the field there towards the goal, but it's not the right goal. And people sometimes don't realize that until it's too late. Now, I believe that what we're talking about today, a lot of the the answers to these things come back to some very basic commands. These are teachings that many of you have heard before again and again and again. And they're commands that echo from the pages of Genesis to the pages of Revelation. Now, either uh, this will be up on the screen, but if you'd also like to on our website, mygracefamily.church, there's a follow along tab there, which has all of these as well. Um, but uh, have a look on the screen here. I want to look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is a bit of the passage that we're going to look at today. Can you read it out loud with me, those that are here? If you're at home watching, you can read it out loud too if you want, as long as that's not too awkward and embarrassing. But anyway, 
Let's read this out loud. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The context of this passage is that the Apostle Paul has just spent several chapters addressing this this early church in Galatia. Galatia is a region in central what is now the, the modern country of Turkey. And there were these early churches that were in that particular region. And and the church there in Galatia was under attack because the enemy wanted to take the truth of salvation by grace through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And he wanted to corrupt it with a religious system of of rules and regulations. And in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul kind of tells his story. He shares his testimony of the things that, that sort of happened in his life. And then he goes on to confront the wrong teaching, the wrong teaching that favor with God can be earned by and won by just following a bunch of legalistic rules of the Jewish law. He challenged that. And Paul then talked about the the unity that comes through knowing Jesus and that Jesus came to free us from the curse of the Old Testament law requirements and to adopt us as his own children. And chapter 5 begins with this. We're going to look at verse 1 here just for a moment. He launches into this next discussion. He says, so, in light of all those other things I just shared, so Christ has has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And then a few verses later, the passage we're looking at today, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Now here in America, I've come to learn, I grew up in Australia for 22 years in Australia, and then I came over here and um, here in America, I found that you guys like the word freedom a lot. Is that true? Some flags and bumper stickers and all sorts of things. And the word freedom, any political campaign that's happening on either party or any party uses the term freedom and talks about freedom whether they believe in it or not. The reality is that there's a patriotism and a nationalism that, that has embraced that word. And unfortunately, unfortunately, as an outsider coming into this country, I've encountered so many times where Bible passages talking about freedom are misapplied to things that have nothing to do with what the intent is there. I was thinking about this. Biblical freedom does not mean what you think it means. Okay? Thinking of Princess Bride there sometimes. Do not think it means what you think it means. Sometimes we hear a word and we associate it with stuff that's the wrong stuff. And I think that's true when it comes to the word freedom as we see in Scripture. Because there's an error that can creep in here. When Paul speaks of freedom, firstly, let me just say, he is not in any measure endorsing the overthrow of governmental authorities at that time. That's not the kind of freedom, that's not the focus of freedom that he's talking about. When Paul speaks of freedom, he's not espousing the idea that it's freedom to do whatever we want to do. That's taking something and and applying it and misapplying it. And that's where I feel that I've met many people who are professing followers of Jesus who miss that point. They kind of of have embraced this idea, well, I am free in Christ. We looked at those verses, I'm free. And and, and what is it again? That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so I can do everything. And I've seen people dive into all sorts of, 
of, uh, of situations and behaviors and relationships saying, you know what, I'm free to do that. Jesus has freed me to do that. That is a misunderstanding of what freedom means in Scripture. Paul is speaking of freedom as the freedom from needing to earn favor with God by rule following. He is most certainly not endorsing a, well, you can't tell me what to do attitude. And that's an attitude I see different times. From people around the country, people around the world different times. Americans are big on that, just being honest. You can't tell me what to do. Have a look again with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to do what? To serve one another in love. That word serve is kind of an interesting word because when we dig into it a little bit, we find that that word is, is, can equally be translated slave. Okay? It's, it's the idea of slave. And it's actually the way that Paul often introduces himself. He uses a similar word there and he basically says that I am Paul, I'm a slave, I'm a doulos to Christ. And when it comes to the Bible's teaching on freedom, on the freedom that we have in Christ, the question that needs to be answered is, well, well, if we're given freedom, what's that freedom for? Freedom to do what? What's the purpose of that freedom? Does that freedom provided by the pouring out of the precious blood of Jesus simply give us the license to do whatever we want to do? Or does God perhaps have something else in mind for us to do with that freedom? And in this passage and in others, we see clearly that, that freedom God provides, it frees us from the curse of the law and it enables us to choose to be slaves to Jesus and from that position to embrace servanthood to one another that is motivated by love and not by obligation. Sometimes we hear about servant and slave and we hear about freedom and we see them as being diametrically opposed. I want to suggest to you that in Scripture, in Scripture, true freedom is realized only in the slavery of love. True freedom is realized, it's realized, it's, it's felt, it's seen, it, it, it impacts us only in the slavery of love. One Bible commentator I was looking at said that, he said this, Paul's admonition to mutual service is, that not, is thus not a restriction on freedom, but rather the very means of its actualization. When we talk about being, being enslaved to Jesus and, and, and being servants to those around us, it's actually the way that our faith gets actualized. He goes on to say that no one has expressed the paradox of Christian freedom more succinctly than Martin Luther in his famous maxim. You'll see it on the screen here. Martin Luther said these words. He said, A Christian is free and independent in every respect, a bondservant to none, period. A Christian is a dutiful servant in every respect, owning a duty to everyone. It's a paradox, but those things go together. We're free, but we're free to be slaves. We're free to be Servants of Jesus, we're free to be servants of others around us. And throughout Paul's writings, he repeatedly points to the example of Jesus in regards to this idea of freedom and servanthood. Let me read a couple of verses to you here from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul wrote this letter. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God 
through Christ. He never sinned, but he gave himself up as an offering so that we could be made right with God. Philippians chapter 2, maybe you've heard this passage before. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a... What's the word it is there? Humble position of a slave. Jesus took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. True freedom is realized only in the slavery of love. Let's look at uh, verse 14 here from Galatians chapter 5. For the whole law, this is a pretty bold statement, Paul makes. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Have you heard that before? Has other people said that earlier? That's something that Jesus talked about when he was asked. Hey, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said the, the greatest command, of course, foundationally, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's picking up on what Jesus is talking about. And he says, everything can be summed up in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to think for a moment, what would it look like if everybody lived like that? What would it look like if everybody loved their neighbor as themselves? What would your neighborhood look like? What would your family reunions look like? What would our schools look like? What would our churches look like? What would our government look like? Some people have asked, well, how, how, can, that, how can the whole law be summed up in this command? Well, I'm just going to look at some of the Ten Commandments. If you are doing what the first few commandments say, loving God wholeheartedly, not worshipping other images, all that sort of stuff. And, and if you are, if, if out of love for God, you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're probably going to, you probably are going to honor your mother, mother and father. Agreed? And, and you're probably, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're probably not going to murder. Hopefully. It's the sixth commandment. You're probably not going to commit adultery, the seventh commandment, or steal, the eighth commandment. You're probably not going to bear false witness, the ninth commandment. Or you're probably not going to covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. This does summarize those things. If we did this, if we embrace this command, love your neighbor as yourself, it's going to keep us out of a ton of trouble. Would you agree? Some people are like, well, I can't remember all the different things that I'm supposed to do. Well, let's remember this one. And let's apply this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have a look at verse 15 from Galatians chapter 5. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I wonder how you're doing with that passage so far. Can you honestly say that you love your neighbor as yourself? How about those with political views that are different than yours? Or who support an opposing political party? I always, uh, I always find it, um, I probably shouldn't, but I find it a little bit humorous at election seasons when you see two neighbors next door to each other that like there's no houses that have any signs in their yard and then there's two and they have one party and they have another party and they're trying to outdo each other and I wonder what those discussions over the back fence kind of look like but do you love your neighbor as yourself when people disagree with you politically because scripture tells us that they're your neighbors too Jesus made that clear in the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you want a little bit of a reference there. 
How about those who embrace worldly views on sexuality and who support lifestyles and other things that you know that the Bible doesn't support? What's your view on them? How do you respond there? Because they're your neighbors too. And what did that verse we looked at earlier say? Love what? Your neighbor as self. Huh. I believe that Christians, and we see this throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament there, Christians are to deal with sin within the church, but sometimes sin in our society is confronted in ways that do not bring glory to God. In his letter to Timothy, Paul wrote this, he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. That's pretty bold of him. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he goes on, he says, and I... Paul, the Apostle Paul, the church planner, the disciple of Jesus, I am the worst of them all. Paul recognized in the midst of the need, he recognized his own sinfulness. And he, he, sometimes it's very easy for people to begin to think, you know what, I'm actually not too bad. Compared to those people over there, I'm, I'm really good. God must be really happy with me. And sometimes we lose what Paul illustrates here is the fact that we all are fallen and broken sinners and except for the grace of God, we would be without hope. But because of the grace of God, we do have hope. First Peter chapter 3, I was just reminded of this. Peter said this, he said, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. But do this, you heard this before, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. And some of the concern I have is that sometimes followers of Jesus are responding to issues in society not in a gentle or respectful way. And I wonder sometimes what the results of that are going to be. But I wonder, how are you doing with all of this? Verse 15 again. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Are you seeing any biting and devouring going on in their culture right now? See some of that happening? It's all around the place. And I wonder, have any of your attitudes or conduct crossed these lines recently? Have you bitten or devoured somebody, a, a, a neighbor, okay, in the way that the Bible uses it there? Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you bitten or devoured a fellow image bearer of God recently? Maybe not by the things that you've said or, may, or the things that you've done, but maybe your thoughts of them. Maybe the way in which you've talked to God about them or talked to others in your family about them. I don't know about you, but the command to love your neighbor as yourself is a pretty big ask. Would you agree with that? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a huge ask. And the reality is that I, 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 I don't know. I, I can't do that on my own. I can't do that. I don't have the strength and the ability to just suck up the courage and the oomph to say, you know what, this person did this, this person said this, and I'm going to love them as myself. I don't have the strength within me to do that. But thankfully, I don't have to. Because as Paul goes on immediately, he goes to verse 16 and he says, in verse, chapter 5, verse 16, So I say, in light of this, Looking back at the things I was just saying, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Paul then outlines what this should look like with these words. He goes on in verse 22. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. When we, when we allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we should see this fruit, love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against those things. Anybody want to see more of those traits in our society, in our families, in our communities? I know I do. He goes on here and he says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in, what does it say there? In every part of our lives, including the part where we are challenged to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in the next chapter, because again, these verses aren't in isolation, Paul continues on in his discussion. And in the beginning of chapter 6, he says this. He says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. And being a little bold there, he says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I love how Paul phrases some of these things sometimes. A couple of verses later, Paul says, okay, how do we do this? Well, he says in verse 10, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Who are we to do good with? Everyone. And especially those in the family of faith. And I want to suggest to you when it comes to, um, when it comes to what we need, I believe that we need to engage in the kind of community in our, in our family of faith that helps us be able to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we're able to grow together, when we're able to be challenged together. Some of the richest times I've had in, uh, in ministry years have been not in public speaking or not in counseling or not in other things there. They've been sitting in a living room with a bunch of other people sharing life and doing life together. Loneliness and isolation is not a gift from God. It is a tool of the enemy. True freedom is realized only in the slavery of love. There's a quote from a uh, resource I was looking at. You can see it on the screen. Somebody asked the question, why did Paul call the selfless love of neighbor, the fulfilling of the whole law? Not because it is superior to the worship and adoration of God, but rather because it is the proof of it. Let me read that again. Why did Paul call the selfless love of neighbor the fulfilling of the whole law? It's not because it's superior to the worship and adoration of God, but rather it is the proof of it. And I want to suggest to you that if, if, if we fail, if you and I, if we fail to put ourselves in a context where we're able to do life together with other people, where we're able to, sh- to, to love and serve others sacrificially, we are going to limit our ability to truly worship and honor God with our lives. Because serving one another in love is not something that you can do in isolation. Would you agree with that? Loving your neighbor as yourself is something that you can't do in isolation. This morning I read a post from a friend of mine in Australia. I knew her years ago as a teenager and, uh, and she recently wrote a, a book, a devotional about hardships and grief. And how her relationship with Jesus helped guide her through that. She went through a, a, a marriage breakup, ministry, all sorts of different stuff there. She came from a very difficult place there. Listen to what she says. I'm just going to read it to you here. She says, when we go through those not so easy seasons, it may not be a one person fixes all. She said, no one person can give us all we need. Aside from Jesus, 
No one person can give us all we need, especially when we are going through seasons of pain. It may take a variety of people, different personalities, skills, gifts and resources to carry us through. So if you're asking, she says, if you're asking, shall I see a counselor? Do I speak to a friend? Do I ask a prayer? Do I ask for a meal? Do I need some fun? The answer may well be yes, 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 yes. We need all sorts of people to get us through those tough times. And then she reminds us there of what Hebrews says, do not give up encouraging each other in the faith. She said, let people encourage you in the way that they are wired. There are people all around us and there are people in this room right now who are going through some very challenging situations. True. Perhaps you know of some in your community. Perhaps you know of a neighbor across the street. Perhaps there's a family member that you know of. And this kind of encouragement that we're talking about here, it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in community. It happens when we choose to engage with others and share life together with them. And remember again that the church was never designed to be a service or an event that people go to. I've heard people say this before. Well, hey, I, I go to this church. Well, that's great. I'm glad that people go to church. But going to church is very different than being part of a church community. Being part of a church community goes beyond arriving in time for the service and leaving just after. Being part of a church community involves saying, you know what, I'm going to look for additional opportunities to get to know people and to begin to share lives together and do life together. Church was and is still designed as a community of people to belong to. And all of us need that community more than we may realize. And so, just a final comment or two here. I wonder, do you know somebody who is embracing isolation right now? Do you know somebody who maybe as a result of 2020 and 2021 is kind of like, you know what, we haven't seen them for a while. They don't really get out too much. They don't really interact a whole lot. I'm wondering, perhaps, perhaps you are the person that God wants to use to be a blessing to them and to help them engage in true biblical community. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be exploring this topic further and looking at some other Bible teachings that relate to the need for true biblical community. But I encourage us all, as we head out from here in a moment, I encourage us, look for opportunities around us, both within our church and also within our communities, to gather with others, to be intentional about spending time investing in others, to grow together, to share each other's burdens, and to help each other embrace and pursue the life that God desires for us. Isolation may, be, may well be a tool of the enemy, but true biblical community is what God intends for us all. And I want to say, let's not give the enemy any more victories in our lives. Let's not kick the ball into the wrong goal there. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we uh, wrap up with a song? Lord God, I thank you for the wisdom that we see throughout your words in Scripture. I thank you for what Paul wrote to the Galatian church here that we're able to benefit from. I thank you for his boldness and I, I thank you for the simplicity of the, the, the words there when it comes to reading them, love your neighbor as yourself. But Lord, we recognize that this is a task that is beyond us. And I pray for, for anybody here that has a relationship with you, that has the Holy Spirit living within, that you would help us to take whatever steps you want us to do, whatever steps you want us to take, to embrace and to step up to that challenge. 
May you bring, bring people across our paths that we, can, that we can love in that way, that we can serve in that way. May people in isolation right now, may you bring people across their paths who can share your love with them. May you use your church to be light in our community, to bring unity in our community, to help exhibit the, the qualities that your Holy Spirit brings. Thank you for this time together here at Grace Family Church. And I pray you would just bless each, each person that is here today as they head off into their week. And those that are watching online, Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what our next step needs to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.